don't ignore data because if you are ignoring data and you are talking about digital transformation, it doesn't make sense to me. So why I say data and digital in the same sense? Because I treat them as two sides of the same coin. One is incomplete without the other. Think of that analogy that if data is the ammunition, if data is the bullet, then digital is the gun to launch that bullet. Without that, if, if you have a bullet, it won't really make any impact. If you are not reaching out to the customer, if you are not really monetizing that data, if you are not really using that for efficiency of the operations, it won't help. And then for those factors, to reach out to the customer, to build an automation engine on top, so you need a digital capability. That's why I talk about data and digital in the same sense, because I feel that both are complementary to each other. On October 25th, we're coming back to Melbourne for our first physical MLOps event. Whether you are just starting in the MLOps journey, improving in that space, or whether you have thousands of models in production, this event is for you. The type of things we're going to cover is MLOps for scale. And that scale can be number of models or the number of people in the team or the number of prediction and inferences that need to be made in an hour or a minute or a second. So how to create effective MLOps for all those scenarios. We're going to cover MLOps processes and team structures. How do we organize ourselves and the talent that we have in our organizations for better results in MLOps. We're going to be looking at creating efficient and effective MLOps pipelines in an end-to-end. What does the data look like, the feature stores, all the way to the model deployment, serving, monitoring, alerting, etc. We're also going to cover getting a C-level buy-in and support for the investment in this area. We're going to be covering what governance and good management looks like in this space. So wherever you are in your journey, the MLOps event in Melbourne on October 25th is going to help you increase the maturity of MLOps in your organization. I hope you can join us. See you then. I'd like to say a big thank you to our sponsors, Talent Insights. Talent Insights are Australia's leading specialist data recruitment business. With offices in Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane, they're experts at providing recruitment strategy and building data teams for clients across industries Australia-wide. They provide recruitment solutions for all roles across the data lifecycle, including data engineering, data science, advanced analytics, customer and marketing insights, business intelligence, data product managers, and data governance. They're skilled at finding the best permanent and contract hires for your business needs, as well as statement of work, project focus, data resources. At Talent Insights, relationships matter most. I can say from firsthand experience, Talent Insights are fantastic to work with, whether you're a business leader within an HR network or a specialist data candidate, Talent Insights should be the first company you turn to for all your data recruitment needs. Find them at talentinsights.com.au. Hi, this is Felipe Flores from Data Futurology. Today we have a really exciting episode. We're going to be discussing data literacy, data maturity, all things data in an overall very, very wide-ranging and very interesting conversation with Hajot Singh. Hajot, great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for making the time. How are you doing today? I'm good, Philip. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. So Harjot is the CDO at RAC in Western Australia. I would say ex-CDO. I just finished my role last month. Please tell us about the role, the remit, and how things are going on your side. Thank you for taking time to talk to me. I moved to Perth two years back to join RAC in July 2020. I finished my role in last month in July 22. 
for two years in that role. So I think the data has been, you can say the journey for me has been pretty exciting. I've worked across three continents in Asia, Africa, and now Australia. And then look at that probably around five countries and about eight cities over the period of 25 years. But everything related to across data, but the good thing is that I have worked across different sectors. So worked across consulting, of course, and then banking and financial services, then telcos, then utility and power sector, retail, energy, I think pretty much all the sector except for healthcare and manufacturing. And right now, I think we built some use cases around manufacturing as well when I was working for HP in Sydney. So, yeah, I can say that it has been pretty exciting, but everything relating to data and digital. And off late, I shifted towards the digital transformation. And rather, I built a framework where actually it's, it's how data drives the digital transformation in any organization. Because based on my experience in Etihad areas in aviation sector, you know, I realized that most organizations struggle to know where to start. Everybody wants to jump the bandwagon around digital transformation, but most of the time they struggle on where to start with. So I designed a framework so that you can ease the implementation journey, that it starts with cloud, then moving to the startup, then talking about AI, ML, or predictive analytics and machine learning, then AI, and then moving towards an app development and service orchestration layer. And essentially, the drug are the business drivers in a sense. So that's where I am at right now. Amazing, amazing. And I can see <clears throat> your wealth of experience um, coming coming together. Um, and it's really great to, to be able to contribute to the industry and the community with, with a, a framework like that. Um, can you tell us a bit about the... Uh, or a bit more about the, the structure of the framework, what type of things you look at um, and assess from there? Sure, definitely. Let me see if I can find the presentation in my laptop because uh, it's essentially it tells you that what are your business drivers first? What are just, What is your purpose when you want to say that, oh, okay, I want to start the digital transformation journey? What are your drivers? For example, if you are a B2B organization, probably your drivers would be a bit different than if, than if you are a B2C organization. For example, a B2B organization is mainly about compliance and operational efficiencies, whereas a B2C organization is essentially about data monetization or business diversification. So I got the presentation with me. Let me open it. So, in fact, this is what uh, it was like AI and data-driven digital transformation. So, the way I did it is like not only digital transformation, but everybody was talking about artificial intelligence. And uh, mm -hmm. simple thing is that people use machine learning and artificial intelligence, you know, as synonyms, whereas there is quite a bit of difference between what is artificial intelligence and what is machine learning. In fact, machine learning drives you towards artificial intelligence. First was about what is the need of the digital transformation. So I gave a few examples that why you need a digital transformation. There are disruptions happening in the market with Uber, Airbnb, Netflix, and then you know big companies are driving 
the digital transformation is in that example I gave is that Apple has launched its own credit card. It's about data monetization. Apple has got 1.5 billion customer base and they thought of monetizing that customer base by launching a credit card. Similarly, you know, in a local Australian market, Coles and Qantas, uh, you know, they are successfully monetizing their data. And in fact, this is where that is the need of the digital transformation. Now we move towards actual framework. So actually what is meant by digital transformation? So I pushed four components out of that, customers, products, omni channels, and automations. And then I coined a definition, which is basically reaching out to your customer base and with customized products and with a quick speed to the market. Why the customized product is important? Simply because, you know, most of the banking and financial sector, any other sector organization in Australia, they are not really passing the benefit of being a low-risk customer to the customer itself. In a sense, what they are saying is that we got a fixed set of mortgage products, and whether you take it or whether you leave it. So that's that's where this product customization has not been happening. And in fact, the benefit of being a low-risk customer is not getting delivered to the customer. Whereas airline industry is quite advanced. I mean, you can charge a different uh, price for different seats within the same aircraft or within the same trip. So, but that's that's where uh, AI, uh, uh, airline industry is using that artificial intelligence to customize those products. So now, next is basically we move towards the framework. So, this is essentially where do you start? The first thing is your, of course, after cloud transformation, you quickly start with the data platform, and then this is where you start thinking about your process redesigning using intelligent automation. Now, data is very critical. Without that, you can't really use automation or you, 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 know, you can't really use machine learning or AI services if your data is not up to the mark. So that's the first step. And then based on that, you build on your automation capabilities. And then mobile app and website, which are a component of reaching out to the customers. So these are essential part of digital transformation. And the next component, in a sense, is basically your service orchestration layer. So now why I build a separate component for service orchestration and use a very bright color for this purpose, it's, this is about you know making your front ends talk to your back end data. Because most of the times you see that if you have an app or it's not really talking to the back end systems. So that's where you know you struggle. So this service orchestration is nothing but an API based integration layer. Now think of an example of Afterpay. Now, Afterpay has created a middleman between a banking institution and a customer. And then Afterpay is having a commission based on the services provided. But in case your mobile app, your banking app, is talking to your credit card platform, and then you can build this feature which can automatically translate the number of uh, amount into you know different installments and without any cost. So basically, this is what you can do with the service orchestration layer. And in a sense, the last thing is essentially about your product customization, where you talk about your uh, product redesign so that you can build your product based on your customer's requirements. That's in a sense is the framework. And then, you know, what does it give you? Data platform gives you a single view of the customer, advanced analytics capability, loyalty database, 
key to the market, customized marketing campaigns, product and simplification and customization and omni-channel interface. That's in a sense is, uh, you can say, uh, the framework I have uh, designed. That's outstanding. And um, yeah, definitely cover a lot of a lot of ground there. What is the area do you think companies find the most challenging when they're transforming their organization? Uh, if we think about it from the framework of this perspective, where do you think, um, or think about it from the perspective of the framework, um, what, what, what are the area, what's the area that companies have the most challenge with? I think um, I wrote an article on LinkedIn, which was more around, you know, five common mistakes to avoid in digital transformation. I, th- I think the common, most common mistake is that not understanding the business drivers. And if people think that digital transformation is only about technology transformation, then it's gonna fail. Yes, there is a huge technology component in that, but technology plays the role of an enabler. So unless a business or the C-suite has come up with their business drivers that this is what they want to achieve through business transformation. First of all is like product customization. Do they want to achieve data monetization, business diversification? Or if you are a B2B industry or you want to go for a you know uh, efficient product redesign, plus achieving efficiencies at the back-end operations. So these are the things, unless these are agreed, your digital transformation, well, if based on the different drivers, your digital transformation will take a slightly different route based on what you want to deliver. Mm. And unless these are agreed, so your digital transformation will actually, you know, is not going to be that successful. For 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 example, for Etihad Airways, the digital transformation was, you know, um, driven by GDPR compliance, though we were a B2C, but GDPR was a big issue back in 2018 when uh, it came into effect. So that's where, you know, most of the project around moving towards cloud and building a data platform and then building an app and then designed to a service orchestration layer was moved towards uh, compliance to address the compliance, regulatory compliance, and, you know, address the DSR features. So, but that's, that's where, unless that is agreed, so, I mean, you won't be able to put a success, success criteria on your digital transformation. So once you know that these are the uh, objectives you want to achieve, that's where, you know, uh, driving that uh, really has. For me, I think that will be the biggest tick on the box that, yes, everybody understands what they want to achieve, and then you start driving. Because otherwise, there's a huge component of change management, and you have to involve lots of people. Without agreeing on the drivers, I think they won't be able to, you know, agree on that. And data literacy is a component of digital transformation, actually. Yeah, definitely. Definitely agree with that. <clears throat> and I really like the, the um, starting point by identifying and getting a shared understanding around the business drivers and then um, having those as measures of success. Like, are we then moving the dial on these business drivers that we identified at the start. So that's that's really good. I think if you look at that, everything else is dependent on data, whether it's mobile, service orchestration, or process design. But product redesign can happen independent of data based on as a first step, I would say. 
You start thinking about your product portfolio, and then you use your data and automation to design that product, which is essentially about customization. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that that makes sense. So the product redesign. How how broad do you recommend companies to think about that redesign? Like, is it is it um taking existing products and and giving them a, an update and or a refresh, or is it thinking uh, broader to what what could be let me give two examples. So the first example is that uh, you know I have a health insurance, and their standard product is two adults, two children. And I told them that I got one child only, so we are a family of three instead of four. So can you give extra discounts to us because you are insuring three persons instead of four? And the answer is no. Our product is pretty much standard. You know. And then back in UAE, when when you are looking for a home loan, or or in here also, that if you are earning good salary, your spouse is working, and you don't have huge liabilities, then you are basically with with a well, you've got a very good credit score, so you are a customer with a low risk. But here, you know, you can't really ask for a discount in mortgage because being you are a low risk customer as compared to high risk. So that's where this product customization comes into the picture. And if I say that, if let's say that tomorrow, if a digital bank comes into being and they say that, okay, being a low risk customer, Mr. Singh, we can give you 0.5% discount on the standard mortgage product. And then that is applicable to all the low risk customers. Guess what? All the low risk customers will move to that uh, you know, mortgage provider. And the other parties will have to deal with the high risk customers. So that's where. So I think that's, that's where probably this product customization is required based on individual circumstances. And if the business driver is like that, then, then that's, that's where probably we need to move on. And, and I think this is where actually, you know, Coles is doing a great job in data monetization. So every, every you know, flybys, they got about 8 million customers. So they are gradually monetizing the data from being a retail. They are stepping into insurance, you know, they are, and, and, and their insurance product is underwritten by IAG. So it's pretty competitive. And then they have stepped into credit card. So they have launched a white label credit card. So that, that's where I think industries are moving towards uh, monetizing and customizing the data. So they, don't, they, know the, they know their customers based on their requirements, and then they are building the products. It's not happening too much in the Australian financial sector, but, yes, yeah, happening overseas. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And then some of it, um, unfortunately, in Australia, some of the limitations to the innovation are, are driven by the regulators. Um, so, for example, in the in the case of the health insurance that you mentioned, um, that's dictated by the regulator, that the, the products need to be uh, standard across the different insurers, so then people can compare that the same level of insurance, say a bronze, silver, gold cover, that it covers the same things from insurer to insurer, um, and that all the people that have the same product for the same for an insurer, they all have the same pricing. Um, so it's not a risk-based pricing, which is which is um, uh, generally a, a positive. But as part of that uh, push from the regulator, there's um, limits on the on the pricing levels 
which is um, literally enforced as to have singles, couples, or families. Um, and those are the, the three streams. Um, and, mm. and then kind of, yeah, the small uh, or the families of three, as you mentioned, find it tough. Um, and then on the, on the other end of the scale, there's on the, for the insurers, they have customers that have families of nine uh, or sometimes, sorry, families with nine children that are paying the mm. same as, as um, you know, just a, a family membership. Um, exactly. So that, yeah. So that, that's where I think risk-based pricing comes into the picture. Now think of that. So now if I buy a car and I, I drive only 10,000 kilometers a year, so my premium is different as compared to somebody who drives 20 to 30,000 kilometers a year. And there are regulators who are providing the services based on the kilometers driven. And there are providers, I mean, irrespective of the kilometers, you, they just insure the car. So depending on how they want to operate, yes, regulators are challenging across the world, it's not necessarily in Australia, across the world. But I think like in airline industry, based on your customer, you know, that is a business class customer making two trips a month, then, you know, you give them a highly discounted price or give them extra services as compared to somebody who's traveling once a year. Uh, on a, on economy class, based on that, you know, you can price different seat differently, and then and then I think airlines were you know allowed to provide open fare since 1980s. Previously, even they were having a flat pricing, but in 1980s it was like yes, based on the you know demand and supply. <laughs> That's why you see the prices of the tickets going very high in the holiday season, especially when there are school holidays or or Christmas holidays or around Easter. It's again demand and supply. <laughs> yeah, so true. Um, what what are some of the other items on your list of major or common common errors uh, in in digital transformation? So you yeah you mentioned not focusing on the on the business drivers. What what is the some of the other ones in the the list? I think the second one is that thinking that this is only the technology transformation and then it, it's it's a combination of both technology as well as business. And another one is essentially, which is more about ignoring the change management component or mm. ignoring the people component out of it. Now, thinking of that, you know, it's a technology, but then you don't really need to involve people. You don't really need to educate people, especially when it's we're talking about intelligent automation or back-end efficiencies. So unless you educate people, they won't be able to, you know, collaborate on that. So you won't be able to leverage automation as quickly as if people are really informed. So therefore, data literacy or digital literacy, I would say, is a key driver along with the transformation piece. And I would say that, again, it's not only top down, but again, a bottom up approach is also very essential for that in the sense that your people Okay, it's, it's, the C-suite should be uh, ready to accept it, but your people should be eager to adopt it. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you have a transformation, you will face the adoption challenges because people are not really keen to adopt that change. And without adoption, I mean, any transformation will struggle. So that's where, of course, there are compliance regions or you will put some extra resources in there, but in order to achieve the automation or efficiencies or, or you know, you're building a machine learning patterns. You have to have people involved from the lower tier who are actually dealing with the customer, who are actually the frontline people so that they can understand that and they can bring the benefit or leverage the benefit of automation. 
Yeah, that is excellent. That is excellent. So yeah, think about your key business drivers. Um, make sure that digital transformation is more about more than just technology. Uh, focus on the people and the change management mm-hmm. and make it a, a desire to change, uh, a desire for change and to embrace the new approaches and new tools. And then make sure that there's executive support as well as organizational readiness seems to be um, some of the, the items on, on your list. Is that right? Yep, that's true. That's true. Yeah, that's that is that is excellent. That is excellent. Um, and um, what 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 other types of considerations should organizations have as they're as they're wanting to embark on digital transformation, or while they're going ahead and are in the midst of the of the journey uh, in digital transformation? Um, any any other types of considerations or 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 um or parting words that, think, that you think they should consider the most important thing to realize is that there is no one size that fits all i think that's the most important thing so based on your business drivers what exactly you want to because every product would be different for every organization as you say that some some uh, you know um, uh, areas are reflected by the regulators some are not so basically what you have to really understand is that what exactly you want to achieve. And don't think that if somebody else has done that, then we must do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I think this, this is what happens in ERP space because now people there is a big push towards pushing ERP towards uh, you know cloud, cloud services, because that's a part of digital transformation. But I would say that if you have to choose between ERP and CRM, and data, choose CRM and data because those are the ones that becomes customer facing and data is enabling rest of the machine learning or automation stuff. ERP is your internal. So if you can go through all, you've got money and resources, do it. But if you have to pick something around that, then I would say that pick something that is more customer facing or that is impacting your compliance and efficiency of the operations. Don't think that if somebody else has done that, you're going to do the same thing and then it's going to achieve the same result. So that, that's why the most important thing to realize is that there is no one size fits all. And the second thing is that you have to be really careful, careful when you want to push towards cloud because cloud is like, can be really cost effective, but you know it can burn resources very quickly if you are not really careful around that and on man- managing your resources. Therefore, having a cloud infrastructure team or looking at the careful utilization of cloud resources so that you don't really end up paying so much money around that. So you can you can make sure that you use the elasticity of the cloud, especially in machine learning, and when you are not using it, shut down those nodes. Because without that, you know, why machine learning became so popular in the recent decade? Because the cost of storage has become so down. And think of using that, you know, uh, data architecture in the sense that it, it stores the object storage, the cheapest form of storage. It makes efficient use of cheapest form of storage. So basically, these are the things. And in a sense, don't ignore data. That's, that's the key. Don't ignore data. Because if you are ignoring data, and you are talking about digital transformation, it doesn't make sense to me. So why I say data and digital in the same sense? Because I treat them as two sides of the same coin. 
one is incomplete without the other. Think of that analogy that if Dara is the ammunition, if Dara is the bullet, then digital is a gun to launch that bullet. Without that, if, if you have a bullet, it won't really make any effect. If you are not reaching out to the customer, if you are not really monetizing that data, if you're not really using that for efficiency of the operations, it won't help. And then for those factors, to reach out to the customer, to build an automation engine on top. So you need a digital capability. That's why I talk about data and digital in the same sense, because I feel that both are complementary to each other. Outstanding. That is excellent. So well put and a great way to end the episode. Hi, Jod, I want to thank you so much for sharing your knowledge, your experience, your perspectives with us today. It's been really eye-opening. We can see the wealth of experience that, that you've had. I love the, the conversation, you know, took a turn into digital transformation. And I think the light that you brought to that space has been really transformational. So thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much, Philip. Thank you so much for your time. It's a pleasure talking to you. And apologies for the time confusion. I think the zones mixed up. But I think it was an interesting conversation. Thanks for your time. 100%. Thank you so much. That brings this episode to conclusion. Thank you so much for listening. Please find us on datafuturology.com or on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram as Data Futurology. Also go to datafuturology.com forward slash podcast to find the show notes for this and any other episodes. If you like this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful and valuable for you. Thanks again and see you next time.